Hello, good morning, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, which always sounds a little high and mighty for a show that starts out with the term hangouts. I hope everybody is excited this morning. I know I am excited this morning. We have our very first guest in this space, outside of, of course, our regular panelists, but an author, a writer, someone that wrote a piece that we actually already covered here in Hangouts and Headlines, which I believe I described as one of the most reasoned takes on the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial. I'm very, very excited to have this guest here, and I want to get a, a, a couple of ground rules uh, before we do bring her on. So this is our first guest. I would love to continue to have guests in this space, but as you folks in chat probably know, internet can be a rough place. And some folks that I want to have on are going to agree with my takes. Some folks are not going to agree with my takes. In every instance, that's a good thing. We want to get more perspectives. We want to get more and better information out there. We want to understand where other people are coming from. And this is not going to be a debate society here on Hangouts and Headlines. We're going to have folks on, hopefully a lot of folks. I would really love this to be a part of the Hangouts and Headlines experience that will talk about how they came to write articles that maybe you don't like, maybe I don't like, but that to get that perspective is an important part of critical thinking and critical analysis. Uh, now, that means that ad hominem attacks are forbidden. They've always been forbidden in this space, but especially for guests on the channel that take time out of their day to come here. So please resist the urge to do that if you're at all inclined to. And otherwise, let's keep the commentary constructive and interesting and fun. The second thing I wanted to do is just a bit of housekeeping is I'm not sure uh, how long uh, any given guest will be able to stay with us. I've been told by Natalie here, who's waiting backstage, uh, that she has about an hour, perhaps, maybe a little bit less. Um, so with your chats or super chats or inquiries, please understand that uh, we'll probably do questions at the end. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as possible, but I can't make guarantees uh, that we will actually be able to get to chat questions uh, to any given guest, but especially to Natalie here today. If you want to make sure that those are flagged as separate from asking me a question, uh, please do put Natalie colon or something along those lines at the front, and I will try to elevate those when question time comes up. Please bear with me. This is all kind of an experiment uh, in figuring out how these things go. With that said, and thank you for waiting, everyone, I would like to introduce our guest today, Ms. Natalie Shure. How are you doing today, Natalie? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Bright and early. Absolutely. It is bright and early here. I, I don't know where you're located, but I do know that I get a lot of complaints depending on whether you're west or east of me for this start time. So I'm in, I'm in Boston. Okay. Uh, which I guess, uh, Michigan, Michigan is east coast, right? Yes. We're the, we're okay. the most westerly of the eastern time zone. Yeah. Uh, we get some yeah. real wild sunrises and sunsets here. Okay, so I think we're probably one of the most easterly, so depressingly early sunset in the winter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but today is just fine. Uh, Fantastic. So coffee. You might see my husband uh, floating around in the background at some point, but... Uh, Absolutely. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming here, and thank you so much for being uh, our, our, our first guest uh, as we try to work out formatting and, you know, niceness and general congeniality rules here. Yeah. Um, very much appreciated. So why don't you talk to folks a little bit about yourself? Um, I just listed you as writer, uh, but I want to make sure that uh, folks know where you're coming from and maybe also the New Republic. And I, I don't know whether you are an employee there or a, a freelancer or anything about your relationship there. So just fill us in. Sure. Uh, so my name is Natalie. I live in Boston. Uh, I have been um, you know, freelancing for 
various sites, magazines, newspapers, et cetera, for uh, I guess a bit over a decade now. So for quite a while. Uh, I've also worked in television. I worked for a show called Adam Ruins Everything for a couple years. Uh, if you've heard of that, it's um, we basically describe it as a liberal arts comedy, kind of an explainer show. I do. I've uh, had a few interactions with Adam about whether or not uh, mergers and acquisitions in the gaming space are a good thing or not. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> great. So, so you know, you know, Adam. Uh, I didn't work on that episode, but uh, you know, I I remember it. So that's that's fun. Yeah. There you um, go. Yeah, so di so did that, and then uh, moved to Boston just a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm a columnist at the New Republic, so okay. I you know write write fairly frequently for them. Um, you know, short pieces, and I just had a longer piece about Roe versus Wade in their magazine. Uh, write for you know Jacobin in these times, the Nation. Okay. Um, I'm a pretty left wing writer. Uh, okay. Most of what I focus on is politics and healthcare. Uh, I don't write about culture all that much <laughs> not a ton of depth be heard articles coming from you no i mean this was pretty pretty unusual for me it's not my typical beat okay. uh but i you know started uh focus or started started following the trial and felt like there was something missing so decided to to dive in but um you know definitely not something i typically cover uh i'm not particular i don't i don't think i i went into this thinking i'd never seen a johnny depp movie um, then I looked at the IMDb page and I guess I had seen Sweeney Todd when it ah. came, uh, a while ago. And then I saw What's Eating Gilbert Grape when I was a kid. Sure. So I, I wasn't totally ignorant of his movies, but I've never seen Pirates or anything. Um, that's wild. So, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not like a fan by any stretch. OK, so we can't put you in the just swooning over Jack Sparrow bucket when we when we analyze your article here. No, I mean, I think I think that would be pretty hard to do. Uh, I did like Sweeney Todd. Uh, I, I don't recall having any issues with his performance in it. Um, saw it, you know, I guess 15 years ago at this point. So. <laughs> OK, so that's 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 fantastic background. And, and one of the things that's really interesting about that to me is you describe yourself as as, as left wing or, or, or yeah. left to center as a writer. Um, you know, I, I, I was going to ask this a little bit later. Um, but what do you think of the bifurcation between coverage of Depp and Heard and, and what we're seeing right this second after the verdict in kind of splitting across political lines? It seems very odd to me uh, as someone that looked at this case as, uh, you know, did somebody kick somebody in Boston uh, and that kind of thing really separating out on political lines by the looks of things with maybe your article being the primary exception to that rule? Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there was definitely a huge bifurcation. Uh, yeah. and I guess that um, you know to kind of to kind of answer the question, you know, that's that's like a narrow part of how I've thought of this. So if I can kind of you know give broader context, please. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially who aren't in journalism, when they talk about journalism, they talk about how it should be objective. Um, you've heard you know the phrase objective journalism a whole lot, uh, and and I think that what is credible. And so those are two um, related, overlapping, but still distinct things. And, and I'd separate them like this. Um, like I said, I'm a left-wing writer, not just, oh, I tend to fall liberal. I mean, I, I write for socialist magazines, okay. uh, write from you know a Medicare for all perspective, um, pretty ardently, things like that. Okay. Um, but, I, but I think I do so credibly, which is, you know, I've written a whole lot about healthcare. 
Uh, I've written, you know, several pieces over the course of several years about the insulin pricing crisis. Sure. Uh, if you haven't heard about this, you know, several people over the last several years that the price of insulin has climbed. Um, several type one diabetics who aren't able to afford insulin start rationing it. That uh, you know puts puts their systems into um, disarray. They fall into diabetic ketoacidosis, and about a dozen people have died this way over the past five years that we are aware of. Almost certainly more. Um, but I've you know interviewed a lot of their families to try to figure out what happened, uh, and have written about this as you know, the primary example of something that I think makes a very strong case for single-payer healthcare in the United States. Okay. So I bring that up just to say, that is not objective reporting. That is not objective writing. I'm making a very clear argumentative case, but I think I'm doing so very credibly. I think that I'm doing so, you know, I'm covering all my bases. I'm learning the topic very well. Uh, I am either explicitly or implicitly acknowledging counter arguments. So when you're writing about drug prices, people say, well, they need to be super expensive because of innovation. So then oh, you know, I try to, yeah. yeah, I handle, I handle that question in my okay. work. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, or I handle that argument. I, I don't agree with it because, you know, for the most part, all of this research is publicly funded. A lot of the R and D payments from drug companies go into things like marketing, et cetera. So okay. I, I think the credibility means uh, taking things into account, um, addressing the best arguments uh, on the other side so that, you know, someone, someone reads it, they might not agree with you, but they don't think that you, you know, left all of these stones unturned or right. pushed out because you didn't want to deal with them. Uh, and, you know, just did a very intentionally cherry picked version of the best argument from your side. So right. that's that's what I try to avoid. Um, and I think that that's what journalists try to avoid. I think that having a point of view and making an argument isn't a problem if you are able to, you know, include everything and show your work. And so to bring it back to Depp v. Heard, uh, sorry, I know that was a little bit of a detour. No, no, no. Actually, I think that's fantastic context. So please. Okay. Absolutely. So I, I think in my reading, uh, I feel like a lot of media didn't necessarily do that. Uh, I, I think that a lot of um, coverage that I read seemed to not be super aware of the facts of the trial, um, you know, whether or not things had gotten into evidence. Um, I think a lot of it was based on the UK ruling which when yeah. I first read the UK ruling and you read, you know, what, what evidence it, it does feel pretty damning uh, for the depth side. And I think you have to learn a little more about what the evidence is and kind of go back and read some of the, you know, primary declarations that are cited in the ruling to kind of understand what's wrong about the ruling. I know that throughout the trial, some people keep saying like, well, this guy had a son who was, you know, working for, I think all of that is total baloney. I think the problem is that the judge you know, basically had motivated reasoning and weighed things heavily or lightly, depending on, you know, whether or not they made a strong case for Amber Heard. Uh, yeah, think, backed into a pre, pre-established kind of thought process. Yeah, that, that's yeah, how yeah. Or, you know, like the idea that, um, you know, he all but discounted people who are in depth's employ as being biased. And like, you know, you have to consider that kind of thing. Maybe they are a little biased, um, but, you know, doesn't doesn't appear to have had a similar thought process for her sister, for example, you know, things like that, where it was just a sort of arbitrary decision making about, you know, whom whom to weigh heavily and consider a load bearing 
uh, part of you know the credibility argument versus what to to toss out. Uh, I think I think that a lot of those decisions were odd. Um, all of which is to say, uh, I, I think that you know a lot of these articles that I read, I thought that there were some pretty glaring, um, pretty glaring things missing. Uh, you know, pretty pretty obvious counter arguments that they didn't seem to understand, or you know, they'd bring something up that has uh, like a fairly obvious problem with that they didn't that they didn't um, handle. And so I think part of why, sorry, I know this answer is taking forever. Uh, no, but I, like I said, when we started here, this is, this is to get your perspective out here. I find this fascinating. I'm sure the folks that are listening do too. Okay. Uh, well, that's good. I hope, you know, if they, if they wanted to send me a super chat telling me to shut up, that's okay. Or, <laughs> you know, a nice way of saying <clears> that. <throat> uh, but so I think part of why they didn't do that a lot or why there aren't a lot of, you know, super tedious explainers point by point rebuts in the, media itself yeah. and certainly you know why i haven't done one uh kind of gets back to the whole you know credibility versus objective and you know why people write the things that they do um i think you know so so i wrote this piece because i found it a bit exasperating that people were trying to shove this case into uh narratives however galvanizing those narratives might be i don't think that it's a good fit Right. But I think that people who were writing the, you know, Depp v. Heard is a feminist travesty, the fact that people didn't believe Amber Heard just shows how far feminism has to go, et cetera. Right, right, right. The people, the people who wrote these takes, I think, were propelled by, you know, a sense of righteousness that I didn't have writing mine. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that there is quite ample evidence that Amber Heard lied. Uh, but I'm not sitting here thinking that like defamation law is a bastion of justice. And sure. I'm certainly not sitting here thinking that Johnny Depp should have more money. I mean, I, you know, I mean, like <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a socialist. I, I, I think that the damages alone uh, is more money than any individual human being should have. He's already got a ton of money. So I, I don't, I don't think it's a galvanizing case. I'm not, I'm not sitting here cheering about it. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like it was uh, reflective of justice. I, I just, you know, I, I think that, I think that it is an unusual, unique situation with two movie stars uh, that's not necessarily applicable uh, in a universal way that people want to make it. So, right. you know, I guess, I guess that's why I was writing a, a piece somewhat on my own. People did get very mad about it. Uh, I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about how your readership took this and, and how, mm -hmm. how other journalists or even your publication took this. Yeah. Um, so my, you know, my, my publication, my editor uh, was very supportive and, you know, I get to drive a lot of what I write. So, you know, oh, good. He, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't like, he, you know, in the editing process, he might push back against a certain thing and say, hey, have you have you heard of this? Have you considered this? Maybe there should be a paragraph addressing this. Um, but, you know, if he, if he doesn't agree with an argument and I'm able to present it, it, it's not as if they only publish things that they agree with. I mean, there's, you know, a, a wide variety of perspectives or at least not a super narrative, uh, super narrow variety of perspectives. Uh, across the site and magazine. That's always um, good to hear. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly, certainly a lot of uh, peers and, you know, other people I know in and adjacent to the media were super mad about it. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, some, some liked it too. It wasn't universally hated, but uh, you know, the people who did dislike it, it, you know, it, it feels crappy uh, for, for someone to, you know, if someone, if someone doesn't like an article for, you know, they think it's boring. Okay. Whatever. Um, you know, someone doesn't like an article oh. because they think it's, you know, incendiary and hurtful toward uh, people who have been abused. That's, you know, something that feels entirely different, which is another reason why I think people aren't necessarily excited to go out on a limb with uh, a heterodox take along these lines. So you were getting what you would describe as incendiary critiques or, or that, you, that, that you were harming things for, for some portion of the audience space uh, by writing this way about Deppy Heard? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a fair, a fair way to put it uh, okay. or that it was, you know, hurtful to, I think that there was a lot of writing about, you know, concern about how, how this affects uh, domestic violence victims who might sure. be paying attention to the coverage and trial. And I think that, um, you know, some people, some people suggested that this made it worse for them. And so we'll, we'll probably look at a few um, uh, sections of this article because I found it very interesting. But what would you say the overall kind of thesis, the 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 point you're making with stop trying to extract larger lessons from this was? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, at the at the very least, I think it seemed to be accepted by both sides that this case necessarily does uh, have broader political implications or broader implications for feminism. Well, we saw uh, Amber Heard's team bring that up in closing, right? I mean, that that, that is a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they brought it up in closing. Frankly, I'm, I'm a little, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but watching it, I was a little surprised that they weren't leaning into that more. Um, and, and apparently, you know, she she used to have her previous lawyer was Rhonda Kaplan, who, you know, does do that sort of feminist litigation. Okay. Um, she was one of the Time's Up people before the, the big exodus somewhat recently. Um, she left the case ostensibly for coronavirus reasons. Um, part of me was curious if she kind of came to believe it was a bad case and mm. distanced herself. Um, but yeah, anyway, like, I, I think that that was one of her stronger arguments, the stronger arguments on the herd side. Um, if, you know, she had kind of framed or if her team had framed things more the way that they had been framed in the media, I don't know if that would have been effective for the jury or not. But in terms of placing a little bit of doubt about, you know, okay, they've got a psychologist here telling you that, that this person has borderline and histrionic. Is that part of, you know, this um, misogynist history that's been weaponizing women's mental health against right. them? Uh, and whether or not people think that's, you know, planting planting seeds of doubt is, you know, what what those narratives are supposed to do. Right. Um, well, they walked right up to the line. I mean, I you know, the, the judicial system is not designed to be a referendum on social movements. Um, so certainly as a lawyer, you look at that last argument. And this is why I think you saw a motion filed by the DEP team. And, um, you know, if if you as you examine this evidence, think of the symbol that you're making out of Amber Heard and what you're telling the world isn't um, isn't generally how we we want our juries thinking about um, the judicial process. Um, so, you know, I, I think they tried to put it in in little bits throughout. Uh, but if they put it in really at a very high level, I think they would have gotten smacked down pretty hard by uh, by the okay. judge on that. All right. Fair enough. But, you know, it, it at least seemed and then from the other side, from the right wing, there was, you know, a lot of I think they got very excited about this case for 
you know, reasons that feel obvious to me that. Yeah, you talk know, about that a little bit because you do reference um, here, I think, the, the, I guess the the right wing, at least in America. So we have a lot of international audience members. So yeah. you know that that's that's the conservative side of the U.S. It, to to various people in different countries, you're probably not going to recognize them the same way when we talk about them that way. Uh, but talk talk to me a little bit about what you saw because this is a part of almost every article that mm -hmm. uh, that the really bad actors took this up, um, and that that's part of at least what I interpret as some of the reaction. Of, of the articles that have been made is that th we, we know those guys are on the wrong side. Um, and so we, we write it in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think some people paint obviously too broad a brush suggesting that every single person who, you know, doesn't side with Amber Heard is in this category and that's straightforwardly right. false. Um, yep. But I think it's tough to deny that there was, um, you know, a, a strong, misogynist tweak to streak at least among some of the things that I saw. I mean, you know, right after the trial, I think it was, um, I forget if it was just the uh, Republican Party main account or some smaller account, you know, posts out celebratory gifts of Captain Jack Sparrow. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, Things like that. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of like right wing culture war type figures were, were definitely tweeting about this uh, along those lines. Um, and, you know, obviously, I, I don't agree with them. Um, and I think I just wanted to critique the idea that, like, listen, you don't you don't need to approach this case uh, with the tacit assumption that it's its outcome, uh, you know, that your ideology is at stake, um, depending on how it shakes out. And that's kind of the vibe that I got from the way that it was discussed. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's a fair reading of the facts of the case. And I think it's a very odd position to put your ideology in. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that the tenets of feminism are, um, you know, strong, and I can make a case for them, whether or not, Amber Heard's story and whether or not Amber Heard's integrity is questioned. Um, right. So I, I just wanted to try to sever that. <clears throat> right. That she's not, she's not as much as some places want to make it a representative of all women um, yeah. that you can look at Amber Heard and say, that is not a credible person. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't have to reduce your street cred if we don't allow it to on yeah. whatever you believe on social movements. I think that's one of the reasons that I like this article. And I, and I, I when I analyze this, um, when it went up, we're going to talk about that date in just a second. Um, you know, one of the things I did say is, well, look, this person writing this pretty much agrees with my perspective. So I try to highlight that bias. It's like, well, when I critique the rhetoric here, the argumentation, you should know this is basically how I think about realistically all trials, that this, that's the proper way to kind of take this. It doesn't have to be a referendum on a political movement. Um, but you're out here saying this, and I thought this was interesting because I actually didn't remember the sequence of events here so well. You're out here saying this in the middle of May. <clears throat> so you're you're not waiting for verdict day. You're not in this kind of flood of people picking sides after the verdict comes in. You're saying this at uh, a little bit after uh, Amber Heard's big, big witnesses had gone on uh, and still with a couple of weeks to go in the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't see... I don't know that I saw anybody kind of taking this tag at that point in time, uh, which is, hey, look, it's a trial. 
it, it's not actually a, a political movement or, or a social message. What made you interested in the case in the first place? And what made you go out with it when you did here? Yeah, so I, like I said, I am not a Johnny Depp fan. I was not someone who was following this very closely. Uh, I don't even write about culture that much. Uh, so, you know, not, not really my beat. Uh, what made me <laughs> curious about it is that uh, I, I can't stand Eve Barlow, who's this journalist who uh, ended up, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure that your viewers know who Eve, Bar Eve Barlow is. She is, I mean, I knew her because she's, you know, a hardcore Zionist journalist, anti-Palestinian journalist who's gotten into scuffles with, you know, the online left over these things. Okay. Um, at one point, people started mocking her and saying Eve Fartlow. And she wrote this like incredibly sincere article about how that was hate speech, uh, oh. which made Eve Barlow or Eve Fartlow trend, which I thought was very funny. You got to watch um, out for that strike sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's just someone who annoyed me for a long time. And, um, you know, all of a sudden early in the trial, I believe she was kicked out of the court because she is now apparently good friends with Amber Heard and was exchanging text messages with her counsel uh, during trial to kind of that was really my introduction to her. I, I didn't know her before that yeah. particular interaction. Um, I mean, that was not my introduction to her, but it was my introduction to the Depp trial. I was thinking like, uh, how on earth <laughs> did Eve Barlow get mixed up in this? And why is, why is Johnny Depp in court with his ex-wife? What's going on? Uh, so then, you know, I kind of, I, I did a, I did a dive into the facts at that point. Um, I had a few work trips back to back at that time. So I had some Amtrak rides where I had time to just, you know, sit and, uh, read stuff, um, which is always helpful in these situations. Um, so I, I got into it and, you know, I, I, I think that the reason that I, I wrote this is, um, I mean, I really was surprised by the extent to which I obviously thought that there would be some, um, you know, feminist commentary about this or, you know, people siding with Amber Heard. Uh, I didn't think that it would be unanimous uh, yeah. in the mainstream media. So I guess I was fairly surprised that an article like this didn't exist. Um, I knew it would, you know, I knew some people would, would disagree with it. Uh, I, I didn't think it would become the lightning rod that it did. So, you know, I guess I, I thought it was like a fairly obvious take. I don't think I'm saying anything novel or insightful, uh, you know, in this piece compared I to think anything. It's insightful. I, I wish it weren't as novel as it was. Uh, but yeah. I, I, mean, I do think it presents insight. Absolutely. And it's not, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, tweeted or emailed me something about, you know, this is such BS knee jerk contrarianism. And the funny thing is like, it's, it's not contrarianism. Like this is, this is a piece that I think lines up with how the vast majority of people have seen this trial, um, have seen this case and that it's contrary to the way that the takes have coalesced in the mainstream media in particular. Yeah. Which is interesting in and of itself, right? That there would be yeah. such a separation between, uh, what people think of this as. And, and you know, I, I can't speak, obviously, for everybody that watched the trial or otherwise had thoughts on the trial uh, any more than any specific media outlet or journalist can. But certainly the interactions I've had have been pretty numerous because we did cover the trial. Um, and a lot of folks 
were interested in it as a distraction. A lot of folks were interested in it uh, because they the names involved, the salaciousness. It's not every case where you have bloody writing on the walls, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I at least didn't have a lot of folks that were coming up to me and, and treating it as a referendum on, on X, Y, or Z. Uh, realistically, until people started talking about it like that. And, and, and at the break, um, you know, this, this, this trial was separated into six weeks of actual case making uh, and a one week break because they had a, um, like a conference on judicial rules. Uh, mm -hmm. It was during that break period that like a lot of the opinion pieces um, uh, came out about, you know, what this means for me too, what this means yeah. for um, uh, everything else related to that kind of social movement type of thing. And Amber Heard was effectively in the middle of her testimony. Uh, and so we'd already gotten a chance to see her. And that was when that was when I started to, to really go and say, I think Johnny Depp could win this case. Uh, and it was an interesting time. And I only note this because it was an interesting time for them to plant their flag in that particular in that particular position. Yeah. Once we've gotten to hear from Amber Heard a little bit, um, because, well, frankly, I, I think she lacks credibility, which is one of the strongest pieces of your article, I think. And it, it might be where folks are rubbed the wrong way insofar as the one thing that you really don't see in all of these opinion pieces that are, you know, you have to believe Amber Heard or, or it's a step back for feminism or Me Too or, or whatever their approach is, is they don't tend to do what you do here, which is kind of recite Amber Heard's evidence, or more specifically, the evidence against her. Um, and that's that's where the questions open up. This is what I wanted to, you said you watched uh, the trial or that you became aware of the trial. Did you watch a bunch of it? Because this is a pretty good, this is a pretty yeah. good recitation of the, of, you know, what we saw. This matches up with what I think is important about what was against Amber Heard at the time. Mm -hmm. So were you watching it by this point in time when Amber Heard's presenting her case in chief? Yes. Um, I mean, I had... I had been following it pretty closely. Uh, I had, you know, looked into what exactly is all the evidence. Um, like I said, read the read the UK ruling, read some of the, um, you know, uh, read the evidence that the UK ruling was based on to kind of understand how how that was decided. Um, and then, you know, watched watch clips of it and like coverage for pretty much every day. And then I think for the last couple of weeks, I watched you know, even, even longer patches during the day. So I can't say that I watched every second of this thing. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, the, the stuff that I didn't watch, I, you know, read a recap of things like that. So I, I, I think I almost certainly watched more of this thing than a lot of people in the media did and was more aware of the evidence than a lot of people in the media were. Well, and I think this goes to your credibility kind of side of things, because I don't have a problem. I've never had a problem with somebody coming out and saying, look, I think Amber Heard's got the right of it, and here's why. But we don't get a lot of that. Here's why we don't we don't get people grappling with what you're grappling here with, which is the the audio. And then I think you have a paragraph here that says uh, those those photos um, they don't match up with the level of the story she's telling, which I think is you know the the problem that fundamentally I had. Once she gets done with her story, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to need some extrinsic evidence because those are those are big time. And, and I want I want to understand them better. And you, I think, rightly say that doesn't it didn't match up so much of this stuff didn't match up. And and I think it isn't followed up on by these other outlets. And I, I don't I mean, I kind of understand why it goes back to your credibility answer, which is you hide the ball and you put the dirt under the rug. And we don't want to talk necessarily about the things that go against our thesis. But well, let me ask you this. 
um, I wasn't expecting after the jury verdict comes in for mm -hmm. everything to be so slanted in one direction from, from many of the outlets. It's not every outlet. I don't want to paint everybody with that brush. There are many that are looking at things with either new eyes or neutral eyes or whatever uh, and analyzing things separately. But there are so many that effectively say, ah, that jury is silly. That jury is misogynistic. That jury has incorporated all these bad things in society, whatever. And they don't even talk about any of the stuff that you talk about here. Uh, as a journalist yourself, has that given you pause at all with respect to what other people are putting out there? I, I have a lot of commenters that say, this is a thing I watched every minute of, and they are not telling me what I saw. And they're yeah. reflecting on that for every other piece of news that they have. And I guess that goes to the credibility of the institutions in general. But do you, inside those institutions, do you have any reflections on that? So, I mean, I, I saw a lot of people and, and I think you know the way that I the way that I look at this case um I I do think that there was very strong evidence that she was lying um I, I you know having having watched uh as much of it as I did read as much of it that I did I really struggle to believe her um yep. and don't right. have to work that hard to disbelieve her um, I still do struggle with the, you know, the, the actual defamation claims themselves, uh, I think are a little less straightforward, uh, which I, I, say, yes. I mentioned in this piece, I, I've gone back and forth a few times on whether I think it's met the, uh, you know, necessarily high bar to constitute defamation, um, you know, for a few reasons. One, it is true that it was, you know, sort of uh, obliquely, it was very lawyerly, right? Like the way that she invoked these facts in the op-ed. And I think it does seem clear that she and was she trying to get a lawyer look at it. Yeah. yeah, she was trying to get them to think about it in this, or readers to think about it in a certain way, but wasn't necessarily explicit about it. There are the First Amendment issues. There's also the fact that, like, I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that Johnny Depp did much to satisfactorily prove that this op-ed cost him fifty million dollars. Um, right. You know, I, I feel I like don't think a lot the jury of the, did either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. A lot of the, the a lot of the like biggest depth stands, I think, wanted to forget that like this guy made Mordecai <laughs> within the past few years, like you know, and that he was this you know uh, big problem on set, etc. So all of that said, um, you know, I I don't I don't necessarily think that it's a perfect verdict, and I don't think that like like I said, I don't think that defamation law is this like bastion of of justice in the first place. So. You know, it's not like I was sitting there cheering for the verdict exactly, um, but I but I did think that you know maybe there would be some more people kind of trying to trying to understand. Okay, well here's why this particular verdict happened. Yes, here's um, why it happened. Yes, <laughs> and, and there wasn't there there wasn't too much of that. There was a lot of you know here's what this means for victims. Um, you know painting the jury as misogynist um orgy misogyny is out there that is that it is yeah um so yeah i don't know um you know i i don't know if we'll still see that uh as i said before i think part of the part of the problem here is that 
Um, I think you need to understand the evidence fairly well uh, to, to understand. So, you know, either someone who watched the trial or someone who's like walking through and saying, here's what, here, here's, here's this, here's that, here, putting it together. Um, and that takes a ton of work. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to, it's a totally different situation, but like debunking conspiracy theorists in real time, for example, is very hard. Um, you know, like, like just, just being able to uh, cite and point to and source and go back and look at all of these things, you know, it, it's, it's not always easy. So it's kind of, you know, this big hulking effort that would be required to go through and debunk that. And yeah, at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it's not that rewarding to, to, to go <laughs> <laughs> like cape for a movie star who just won $8 million anyway, just to, to do what? To like shoot down feminist takes? I don't know. Like, I don't have that kind of time. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like doing that. Uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe someone will, maybe someone won't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I was surprised by the fact that the verdict didn't change the coverage along these lines either. Yeah. That was the biggest surprise to me because I was expecting, okay, well, let's reflect on how, you know, seven unanimous folks in Virginia came to a decision of any kind, right? Mm -hmm. Just thinking about seven people on the internet agreeing on anything is remarkable in and of itself. Um, so, you know, what did they see that maybe we didn't or otherwise reflecting on it? And instead, you do have you do have some of those orgy misogyny articles. And it's like, well, you know, they did give Amber Heard a win at the same time. I'm not I'm not really sure that's your strongest uh, argument. But you bring up a great point about defamation. Uh, how much of this do you think is motivated at least a little bit by journalism? Defamation is its greatest enemy. Right. In, in terms of liability. Um, and so it, just in general, outside of Amber Heard, outside of Me Too, outside of any of the rest of this, uh, journalistic outlets, I would imagine, would be uh, strongly preferring weaker defamation law over stronger. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that might play into it. Uh, some people some people did. I think there was a writer at The New Yorker who specifically brought up that angle, saying that, okay. you know, a journalist should be uh, more critical of this verdict, verdict for that reason. Um, I feel like I saw more condemnations of it from the point of view that this opens the floodgates to spurious defamation suits from abusive exes. Um, yep, I saw that. Of, yeah, subtle scores. Um, you know, I mean, you'd, you'd know more about this than I would. I mean, I, I thought that was a bit much insofar as, you know, defamation law didn't change. Like, it didn't. They'll still throw out completely ridiculous lawsuits. You well, that's a trick. I have some videos on this channel that are anybody can sue anyone. Right. You can you can get in the courthouse. Uh, the question is whether or not it survives. And, and this didn't change that. But I do think, you know, a zeitgeisty type trial like this does at least change the way people think about certain things. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I broadly agree with I think your overall your, your ending is it doesn't have to mean anything except for depth be heard, if I recall correctly. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's true. Uh, but I, I do think at least on the edges, on the margin cases, things can move around. And that's one of the reasons that I actually, you know, read the, the Guardian articles on this and, and talk about it as much as I do, because I think it kind of um, uh, creates its own problem with respect to, well, because Amber Heard wasn't believed, now more women aren't going to be believed. I, I think that that really sets that concept in motion uh, mm -hmm. more than the trial itself did. Um, and I, I never want to take away people's opinions, um, but I do think that there should at least be a little bit of caution there for, for putting that idea out there when you can answer this question and say, people looked at this particular woman 
and said, that doesn't sound right. And that doesn't mean that they will think the same thing about you. You know, hopefully you're not dealing with these situations. But if you are, you know, if, if Me Too was standing for good things, it was standing for the notion that we examine our legal system and our law enforcement systems. And we, we want to get more people, more redress and have these things actually investigated and looked at. And you've got journalists out there effectively saying, well, this throws the whole thing out. It's like, that's not it's not what I feel happened here. And I think you're telling folks that it is a little bit. Um, but that's, you know, that's purely subjective, uh, as they say. Uh, and I do, I do worry about it a little bit. Um, so I, I was going to move on to just one slightly other topic. Is there anything else you want people to know about this article or, or about, you know, the reasons that you wrote it before? We're just going to talk a little bit about um, some of the coverage of, uh, frankly, coverage uh, and, uh, and the case in general. Um, no, I think, I think we've pretty much hashed it out. I guess I can, you know, bring, bring other points into the, the Q and a session. If they come yeah, up. we'll have some questions, uh, you know, probably in, in about five or 10 minutes. So if you have questions for Natalie, um, bring them in, uh, because I think, uh, she's been fantastically insightful here. And, uh, uh I would love to have some insightful questions from the chat show off chat. Uh, because I think that would be fantastic. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, honesty is, um, you know, there's been so many articles about um, coverage of this case. Um, so many articles about, especially TikTok, which I think is a useful kind of cudgel on, yeah. on, on, on bad coverage of this. And I'm not disagreeing with, with bad meme coverage and cry counters and all this ridiculous stuff. Um, but it kind of gets baked into what I think was at least, you know, something a bit new. This has continued to grow. And it's something, again, full bias on alert that I've been a part of, which is, you know, lawyers talking about trials in real time, analyzing this kind of thing and getting more information out there. And we saw and I, I, I don't you don't need to get into any areas where anybody's disparaging anybody or otherwise talking out of school. But we saw The Washington Post deal with this pretty significantly this last weekend. And a lot of things happening in that outlet that might come up this week, depending on what we do here. Um, you know, what do you think of that? Is that is that protectionism? Is that um, people uh, legitimately having these these thoughts and, and just baking in lawyers with TikTokers and things like that? What 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 are your thoughts on that particular kind of trend line? Which I have to be honest, I was expecting a little bit, but I wasn't expecting as as much as has happened here after the verdict. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think that the uh, social media algorithms have been one of the nefarious aspects of this case. I mean, okay. I think that this case more than basically any news story that I can think of, people who weren't following it were getting it pushed in their face all the time on their feeds. Uh, you know, something at least on. So I'm not a TikToker. Uh, I, I do use Twitter. I use Instagram to some extent. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually use I, I watch things on YouTube when I'm watching them on purpose, but I don't like browse YouTube. Um, but, but anyone who does do those things, I think was getting depth heard content really pushed at them, uh, right. in a way that has not been true in the past. And that that's some sort of algorithmic issue. And, you know, th there is, there is something, I think a little, a little weird about that, a little weird about how whatever it was about this news story, it just like, you know, jacked, jacked the algorithm up onto high and was just pushing, you know, some of the most 
you know, I don't, I don't believe Amber Heard, but I did find something like distasteful about some of the most vitriolic hatred of her. Yep. Um, you know, um, even like the worst, the worst version of what she did, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who talks that way about people who commit crimes either. You know, I just, that sort of vitriol is not, uh, is not something that I found very savory. Um, so I think that, you know, looking, looking at some of that and some of the incentives of people to start, uh, turning out content about this, I think is worthwhile, but I do think again, um, sort of like, you know, noticing that there is some misogynist, uh, anti-herd content versus presuming that all anti-herd content is misogynist. Those are two different things. Um, you know, something like, uh, yeah, the idea that, uh, like legal bites would be in an article raising concerns about, um, amateur content, like that, that strikes me as very odd. I mean, I, I watched yeah. legal bites on purpose specifically because I thought it had better coverage than some of the, the, the streaming, not to, you know, name names, but you know, it was, it was not, uh, misogynistic. It was not, um, completely speculative or out of left field. Um, and you're right that like, you know, amateur, amateur content, non-professional content is, is democratizing. Um, you know, people seem to get this with freelance writers. Uh, I mean, you know, some people not, not to say like some people disparage freelance writers. Sure. But like, there are a lot of people, uh, I mean, including myself. So I guess I have a dog in this fight that are, you know, professionally respected and it's understood that, you know, there are some, there are some advantages to not having, um, you know, institutional ties or, you know, being, being solely tied to one institution. Sure. Uh, so I think that, you know, I think that there are, but it's, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, of course there are kooks and cranks. Um, <laughs> there are those. Yeah. Like there are, you know, it's, it's, it's not like nothing can go wrong. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that some of the hand waving about the very concept of, live streamers uh was it was a bit odd yeah and that's you know i i, I think that's well said i think that the, the painting with the broad brush is always what rubs me a little bit the wrong way there but obviously as you say you know i'm involved in this i'm as biased as it can come i, I was on legal bites every day um and uh i feel strongly that those kinds of voices deserve a platform and deserve to be strong voices uh on on this platform because of of what you described which is hopefully as you say, nobody's neutral. We're human beings. We have our biases, but controlling for those, being transparent about them and having multiple voices can help in that whole process. Do you find, by the way, as as uh, you said, you're columnist for the New Republic, but you're also a freelancer. Do, do you have fans of yourself? Do people follow you around uh, uh, among these various outlets at all? Um, I mean, I, I think some do. Uh, just curious. You know, I don't want to oversustain how many fans that I have, but... I don't know. I have people who who tell me that they read my stuff at different outlets. Uh, you you're underselling it. I saw your Twitter. You have a you have a you have yeah. a big Twitter following. So uh, no, well that that fantastic um, uh, thoughts uh, and and thank you so much for sharing it with us uh, with the interview. Do you uh, you know it's seven fifty now on the East Coast? Do you have a little time for some of these uh, yeah, yeah. some of these chats? Actually, right. work, can I can I go refill my coffee while people you can are go refill your coffee? All absolutely. Right. Logo up and do a little longer. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, so thanks everybody who's been putting in these super chats. I'm going to, I'm going to go through them. I'm also going to try to see if I can find as we get through those. 
some more uh, some more chats as well. Um, but um, we're we're right up at the end of Natalie's time, uh, so I'm already just going to say I'm I'm thankful for her for giving us this time as she refills her coffee um, and hopefully can answer some things uh, for you all, which I haven't checked on yet. So hopefully you all were polite. I, I have a feeling that you were. Um, but otherwise, you know, let me know in the comments uh, to this video or otherwise DMing me uh, how you feel about this format, what you feel about uh, having guests on here. I think it's a fantastic thing, but I'm always looking for feedback there. Um, and so let's let's take a look at some of these questions here. First of all, let's just get, you know, some niceness uh, out of the way. Leon Homer, love your work, Natalie. I read you yeah. all the time. Thank you. Thank you, Leon. Which is awesome. Uh, Tom, hashtag still life. As a leftist myself who enjoyed the article very much, I'm looking forward to reading more of your work. Like you, I only knew one movie of each, Edward Scissorhands and Aquaman. Now that would be a crossover. And <laughs> came to the same conclusion. Okay. Yeah, uh, let's see you. here. Alexander Rola, love from a Brazilian communist uh, with hearts and game controllers and hammers and sickles. All right. Um, see, Gio Rio, great to see uh, Hangouts and Headlines growing with this special discussion style. Respect to Natalie to come on here. Hope many discussions will follow. Thumbs up emoji, game controller, key and graph. Uh, we have a lot of people saying nice things. Uh, <laughs> as a leftist, I appreciate this interview. Uh, we'll see if we get some questions. Okay. Um, yeah, these are very nice. You were you were worried about the niceness, but I've done well, some streams with some real jerks, so I, I appreciate your audience. We're doing our best here, right? I mean, like the mantra here is reasonable minds can differ. Sure. Um, so we're we're trying to bring that to the party and the internet in general, sometimes more successfully than others. Uh, but certainly it's it's what we do. Uh, okay, that's we'll come back to that one necrotic after after Natalie's time is up. Um Here's here's my dad up with us this morning. Hey, dad. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, fact-based articles are all anyone can ask. I disagree with you on many things, but welcome the comments. I do change my mind and still can learn at 69. And it's we'll talk here. about dad using his age on the internet in that particular <laughs> age, but we'll work on it, dad. I, uh, <laughs> I, I love you. Uh, thank you for the comment. Um, let's see here. Darius May, Natalie, how does the statement it's a setback for women potentially play a role in fear-mongering vulnerable women rather than protecting them? Um yeah, I mean I, I think I think that I, I think that I share the skepticism that it's a setback for women is productive in this particular case. Um I, I feel like I'm not I'm not sure if I think that the concern is fear-mongering. Although, you know, in terms of fear-mongering vulnerable women, I do feel like those arguments had to uh, emphasize Herd's vulnerability relative to death. Um, you know, acting like, obviously there was a huge difference in terms of years and in terms of resources. He had he had more power in that sense. Um, sure. She was also, you know, a an adult woman in her late twenties, thirty, by the time this all ended, making seven figures a movie. So I think, you know, overstating the extent to which she was a vulnerable person is a bit silly. Um, you know, I, I think the idea that this is a setback for women uh, really negates the specifics of this case. Um, you know, what I thought was ironic about the idea that 
you know, so much concern over people don't believe Amber Heard when the fact is that for years they did. Um, I don't think that there was a whole lot of skepticism about her story or pushback against her story until there was a lengthy discovery process and a lawsuit. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want this to be a setback for women. I don't think it will be. Um, a lot of differences, but, you know, one thing I brought up on Twitter at one point is the, um, the, the gang rape trials or the game rape story at Rolling Stone several years back sure. uh, it turned out to be based on um, a source who was not telling the truth. There was a lot of similar concern that this would be, you know, a setback for women. And that was before the Me Too movement. So, you know, that that case fell apart uh, in a very high profile way. And then there was, you know, several years of, you know, the most sustained dense period of rigorous reporting on sexual abuse in all of human history. So, you know, knock on wood, I don't think that this will have much to do with women in general moving forward. I like the optimism there, honestly. I do. Knock on wood. Uh, Vika Sridhar, does the group think on this make you rethink some of your other ideas, or at least acknowledge that reasonable minds can differ regarding the left versus right debate? Um, I, I mean, you know, is, is there anything like left versus right is I think a lot of the way that people have framed culture war stuff in particular. Um, like I, I said earlier, I'm very much a left wing writer. Um, I want resource distribution. Uh, I want to take money away from rich people and give it to people who aren't rich. I want, you know, universal social programs. Uh, this is not this has not changed any of my priors <laughs> on those things. Um, in general, I think that part of the, the problem with our politics is that, um, you know, class politics are subordinated to culture war issues. Uh, and I think that class politics should be at the forefront of, you know, how people, how people talk about the world and how people debate and how uh, politics are engaged with. So, you know, I, I think that in that case, this makes me feel like that's more true than I felt like it was before this. Interesting. Okay. Sandra Young, Natalie, thank you for your time. Hopefully more journalists across the board will start presenting based on facts rather than coloring cases with their political views. You used Natalie, but you, didn't, you stuck in a statement instead of a question, but it's a good statement, so we'll allow it. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Sandra, for the support. Let's see here. Uh, I think this is a question for you. Carly loves Big Bang German Hogue fan club. They just like me to read out their awesome names. I am afraid that the one-sided MSM coverage plays in the hands of right-wing politics because they often base the reports on trial facts. Isn't that a huge mistake on long-term for media credibility? Uh, that the issue here I think presented is if they're all going in this one direction from our lying eyes, mm -hmm. does this give the right-wing media an opportunity to seize on... Uh, I guess, bad things in general. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that that's a completely valid concern. Uh, and I, I think that that's, you know, get, gets back to what I was saying about credibility versus objectivity. Um, you know, I, I think that completely circling the wagons around herd in such a way that, you know, I was reading a lot of this coverage wondering exactly how much they even knew about this case or, you know, how much they had even read. Uh, I think that that makes someone come off as not credible. And, you know, if, if enough 
people feel that way. And I think that we've seen these uh, phenomena evolve over the past several years that a lot of people are starting to believe that the mainstream media doesn't have credibility. Um, you know, I think I think that that I think that that's a very multifaceted problem. I think that that comes from a lot of things. But, you know, I certainly think that it fuels some very concerning things politically, um, you know, for example, like, not to not to make too explicit a connection. But, you know, I think the rise of anti-vax sentiment, uh, you can you can tie to the fact that a lot of people no longer think that the mainstream media has credibility, um, Just trustworthiness in general. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of that has been, uh, the function of, you know, right-wing campaigns, et cetera. So it's not solely, you know, the media reporting without credibility, but that's certainly a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Ricky, Nat, the articles anger me, not yours, I don't think in this context, but not because of depth. It's because of how this is being reported on. I legit thought it would fizzle post-verdict. Why did it blow up instead? Why make this their hill? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people just weren't paying super close attention or were paying uh, superficial enough attention that they had mostly accepted the arguments of the mainstream media. And then when the verdict came back, they had no Reversed. reason to leave. Yeah. Yeah, that this was anything uh, except, you know, a a misogynist blowback, um, a major cultural lightning rod. And like I said, a lot of, you know, a lot of people did kind of glom onto the verdict immediately from the other side. I mean, you know, I think a lot of prominent right wing figures immediately jumped in to cheer for death to really celebrate the verdict. Um, and so then there was, you know, a reaction that was rooted in coverage that had been coming all along from anyone on the broader left. Well, I think you were right to point out, I think it was like the the House GOP Judiciary Committee goes out with that, which is yeah. oddly politicizing, um, <laughs> regardless of how you feel. So I think that that's the, that's the same problem in reverse um, mm -hmm. for what this represents. Um, Tom from Still Life says, question for both. Do you think the current mainstream media coverage will prevent airing celebrity trials in the future? The social media complaints seem to foreshadow that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I was thinking about this because obviously it's not uh, super typical. I mean, there have been uh, there have been trials that have aired uh, in full, but not too many. The fact is not too many trials would attract interest if they aired in full. Right. You know, they're completely like esoteric. Um, so I think I think in this particular case, I share people's discomfort with what like the, the media circus that this in the social media circus that this propelled the inflatable dinosaurs uh, and the alpaca. And yeah, like there, the, there is I something love Camille shirts. Yeah. There's something very weird about that. It is. Um, but I also think that the downsides of televising trials or having that, you know, be possible. I think the downsides there are, you know, specifically tethered to mega popular celebrity trials on, you know, I mean, celebrities, celebrities litigate all the time and it's about things like, you know, contract breaches for movie royalties or whatever. And like, I'd rather die. I'll cover that. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, that might be the kind of thing that, you cover more more interestingly, but most people just you know glaze over. You give me a good identification provision, I am there. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, this was um, you know obviously a lot a lot more 
for the average person to to watch and to you know rubberneck at. Um, I, I also just think that like any any institutionalized pushback against televising trials is worse than a very intermittent media circus. I mean, you know, ultimately a lot of the complaints about how, oh, this should never have been televised. I was like, well, this is, you know, this is a judicial process playing out in a democratic context. Like you, you yep. can't, you can't push back against it that hard. What I will say, even though I think that Amber Heard is, is lying about a whole lot, um, if there was some sort of rule that, you know, testimony about sexual assault in civil trials isn't televised, so a very, very specific, you know, I, I think that that would be okay. Um, well, I think you can't test, then you couldn't televise this whole case, I would say, because you can't evaluate okay. Depp's case unless you see Amber Heard, right? So, I mean, I think that's- well, That would be I, I just a I, very narrow part of her testimony. Maybe. The whole testimony. Right. But that would be a mystery, wouldn't it? I mean, like what that sounded like, what that demeanor was. Um, yeah. and, and so, I mean, I, to me, it would be like all or nothing at that point um, in terms of yeah. uh, in terms of what you get. But I do I completely understand where you're coming from there. And, yeah. and there's a great deal of discomfort. At, it, you can see on my face, actually, as we stream this, when I'm like, I don't want to think you're lying about these things. Um, and yet here we are. Um, so I. I I hear where you're coming from. I just don't think you can do parts of the parts of the trial um, to have the same effect as what you want, which is a public trial that yeah. people can evaluate for themselves. I think that's totally fair. I'm not even saying that I think that should be a rule so sure. much as that is the best argument about this that I've heard. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea that they shouldn't be televised at all, I don't accept. I'd have to like look more into it. Uh, if anything, I think that's as far as I'd go. Would you say what, if anything? No, I'm just, I'm just joking. That's just, just, just a little Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial mm -hmm. humor. Um, so uh, thank you. Hopefully that answered your question, Tom. Uh, let's see. Do you think that there will be any changes at the MSM from that girl sky as a result of them trying to make this trial more political? They're going to look at themselves in the mirror and say, we should do something differently. Um, I don't think that they got anything. Like, I don't think that they think that they got anything wrong. I think that they think that the jury got something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that answer is correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. Lightning 65, Natalie, there was so much Me Too support for Amber Heard for the last six years that it cannot disavow her now without losing support in fighting as, as, a, as a movement. Uh, choice of representation is critical. For example, Occupy Wall Street, big loss for Me Too. And I, this isn't actually a question, um, but I mean, do you see any of that kind of this person isn't credible attaching itself to the to that, I guess, the movement label at all? And I guess I'll combine that with like the ACLU ambassadorship. I was very surprised to see them issue like a double down article in the last week on Amber Heard. Um, do you think that she's going to have any effect on the movements as movements, as labeled movements, either like the ACLU as an organization or, or Me Too in general, not for what everybody's telling you, but just because she's associated with those brands. I mean, I, I do think that this could be, you know, this could affect the way that people think and talk about the ACLU in particular. Um, I, I think that too. You know, if you want to read a good piece about that, uh, Laura Bazelon, I believe, in The Atlantic, uh, okay. wrote a piece kind of charting um, how how the ACLU went from being, uh, you know, an explicit 
civil liberties organization, famously one that, you know, defended the Nazis' right to march yeah. Stokey in the 70s, and that it sort of, you know, evolved to become a somewhat generic progressive wish fulfillment vehicle. Um, so kind of talk about what's what's lost with that. So I think that- Is that the one that's called like How They Lost Their Way, How the ACLU Lost Their Way or something like that is the title of that? I have yes. to read that one. Uh, yes, that piece. And then Eric Wemple with the Washington Post just this week uh, wrote a piece, which, you know, I hadn't seen this angle. So I, I, I respected this piece too, kind of a, criticizing the Washington Post's role that, you know, if anything else, like why are, why are they publishing these, you know, super- nonprofit PR driven pieces where, okay, even if she was telling God's truth 100% and that this wasn't defamatory, it was such a boring op-ed. Right? <laughs> it wasn't like, that. Yeah. Like they basically, they basically like tap her to be this um, spokesperson who then has an extremely sanitized, careful uh, intro to kind of, you know, nod and establish her authority and then write a completely like generic boilerplate Me Too piece. Um, that like, why are, why are publications basically just running PR for these organizations with, you know, an extra few lines? And I thought that that was a very valid point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think the ACLU emerges from this, uh, you know, with, with their reputation somewhat tarnished, rightfully. Um, you know, as for, as for me too, in general, uh, I've, I've said this in other contexts, but my big critique of the me too movement, uh, isn't, you know, oh, did it go too far? Oh, do people believe women or not? My, my big critique of it is that it was at times overly focused on, you know, individual catharsis and storytelling and cultural change. When I think it should have been focused on, um, you know, structural change specifically worker power, um, unions, um, talking about, you know, the women who get sexually harassed most, which is, you know, poor women at low wage jobs, uh, you know, how to, how to build their power to contest this sort of behavior. Uh, I feel okay, like so you would have seen it as a union drive. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. I mean, I think it, I think it should have been, um, a labor issue seen as okay. a labor issue, uh, a lot more than as, you know, this, this cultural evolution that allows people to speak their truth. Um, not that I think that that has no value, but, you know, ultimately I think that this should have, this should have had, uh, you know, more, more of a material framework than it did. Uh, so, you know, as for, as for what effect she'll have on, on the cultural belief thing. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I, I think that, I think that that is bigger than this case and uh, that it took a whole lot not to believe Amber Heard, despite how many media figures said that, oh, so she's an imperfect victim. Like, I think it, I think it was a little bigger than that. It's an understatement. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, no, hold on one second. That's not a question. Uh, Isha Morris, what did you find distasteful about the way social media ridiculed Amber Heard? Thesis being, this was a woman who lied on a man and destroyed his life for six years, and now she can't take making fun of her for obvious lies for six weeks. Um, so, I, you know, I, I've I've talked on this in this space. Mm -hmm. What went too far for you on social media? I mean, I think it was just the. I, I I agree. Like, it's not like I think that she deserves zero criticism. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that it basically became the top news story around the world for several weeks. Certainly, the top 
social media story for several weeks on end. Um, you know, picking apart every single thing she did or said, uh, ripping her apart in a way that I frankly haven't seen other public figures ripped apart. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's a matter. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll try to like presidents and things. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the only comparable thing, um, is like a president, you know, so it, it does strike me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that she, she did a lot wrong. I am not a fan of her. Um, but, you know, a relatively low tier actor, um, even like, you know, treating, treating an ex really badly, uh, and doing some bad things. I don't know the, the, it felt disproportionate and odd to me. And then at the end of the day, I, I do think that there is always, you know, nothing was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, right. That's is. not the standard. That's not the standard. I, I have long said, I think there could be a kernel of truth in those stories, but she made it so impossible to tell um, that that was, yeah. that was the downfall there. Um, so yeah, you yeah, know, I think, I, I think there's, there, there's, there's reason here and there's, and there's not, which is, this is some bad stuff. These are some heinous lies uh, and she deserves very strong criticism, but you can still go too far, even for people that, that deserve that strong criticism. And I think if you go wander the dark hallways of, of TikTok or Reddit or wherever you find yourself on the internet, you'll see some stuff you find distasteful on this, even if you really dislike Amber Heard and what she did. Um, I'm a leftist, Adida, and I'm offended by the besieged fortress syndrome of defending Amber Heard. I would expect a chinchilla of trying to understand why this verdict happens, a legal bites thing, you might know. Uh, thanks, Natalie, for the great article. Thank you so much. The old chinchilla of evidence. Uh, Ashley, confidence and contour coming soon. Natalie, you stated all journalists have bias come into play. How do you feel about public's lack of trust for the mainstream media? And do you have any ideas on how best to combat these fallacies in today's mainstream media? Yeah, so, you know, kind of kind of what I was saying before, uh, I think everyone everyone has bias. And I think I think that you need to be credible. You need to be honest about where you're coming from. You need to, you know, basically, I think, do your homework, look at all sides. You don't have to accept all sides or give each side equal play. I do think you have to show your work. Um, so, you know, I think I'm uh, use the example of, you know, I usually write about healthcare and politics. Uh, I think that I, I'm obviously very biased when it comes to healthcare, but I think I'm credible. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, it's obvious that I have, learned a lot about this topic and have arrived at the conclusions I have for, um, you know, pretty, pretty specific and detailed reasons. And if someone disagrees, that's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that they'll at least be able to see how I arrived at my conclusion. Um, and so I think that that's, that's all you can do. Um, I think that people, I think that trying to, you know, pretend that you are objective uh, and this is just the objective truth, I think is when people start to feel a discordance. Um, you know, when you start to argue, this case is perfectly straightforward. Amber Heard isn't a victim of abuse. Anyone who says otherwise was just, you know, played by a misogynist horde. I think a lot of people who watch the trial hear that and they think, huh, okay. I mean, you're telling me this, but that really does not track with anything I know. And I think that, that there would be, yeah. like, I wouldn't agree with it, but I think that you could have written a credible feminist take 
somewhat along those lines about the, like, I think the credible feminist take uh, that some of them, you know, never arrived at would be something like acknowledging everything and then still kind of trying to point out, you know, you, you were just talking about the, the kernel of truth in some of those stories. I, I agree. I think that, you know, on the, on the depth side, I think that there was at times a delusional amount of pro-depth commentary and, you know, a desire to act as if he had, you know, barely ever used drugs and alcohol, that he really never said anything. Mean. You know, I, I think that, I think that there were, um, there were a few ambiguous moments, the plane incident, for example, where I think it might be. I, I still have no idea what happened on that plane. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anyone, you know, at the end of the day, uh, no one would, no one would corroborate her version under oath and you know you could kind of see some ambiguity but you know there are there are a few moments where i think sitting sitting with the uncertainty in this very large convoluted story you could reasonably say listen there are a few holes here that we can't be sure of and kind of base an article around that that i would at least respect i wouldn't necessarily agree with a conclusion that came at it from that direction, um, but I think it would be credible. Uh, and so I hope that, you know, mainstream media tries to do more things like that moving forward. I continue to absolutely love that delineation you're making uh, and because I do think it's so important to know that you can read something and disagree with it, but have it argued well and you understand where that other person is coming from. And, and that'll strengthen your own positions. It'll help you understand where other things are at uh, in all sorts of issues. And, and I absolutely love that. So look, uh, you know, we're, we're at an hour and 15 minutes. I don't want to monopolize your time. I've got a bunch of chats. I thought maybe we could do five, 10 more minutes and we'll, we'll try to go through these ones pretty quickly so that people can still get your thoughts. And, and then I can send you on your Tuesday because I, I don't want to take up, you know, too much of your time. This is already so generous of you <laughs> to come on here with us uh, and talk with us about all these things. So we're going to try to cover some more of these a little bit quicker just so we can make sure Natalie can get out there and, and write some more interesting, very credible articles that we can check out and, uh, you know, I don't know, analyze in this space. We'll see. Um, Alexander Rola, Natalie, what, if anything, this trial shows is the difference on how class, gender, race are defended by ruling class ideological or ideology as the dominant class dominating the ideas, dash, Marx, German ideology, happy face. Um, and I, I think that's, you were talking about that, the class side of things rather than the culture side of things uh, as, as one of your mm -hmm. working pieces on how this, how this all operated in the space, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's funny, I think, I mean, that's certainly how I think about justice issues and about politics in general, um, with a very strong class analysis. Um, I feel like people tried to bring um, a power analysis to this case, talking about how, you know, how, how could how could this not have been an abusive relationship from, you know, how, how could she have not been the victim of an abusive relationship? Clearly he had the power and she yes. didn't. Um, and I think, you know, like that, that is to some extent true. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it is a, um, I don't think it's a, a framework that you can confidently drop onto this. And, you know, she, she had less power than Johnny Depp, certainly, but but didn't necessarily lack power in an objective sense. I mean, she she right. is someone who, you know, when their marriage ended, she was 30 years old and making seven figures per movie. Um, so, you know, certainly 
uh, is, is someone who had more material security than a lot of people. Um, we do know that, you know, in general, uh, domestic violence is a lot more common uh, among people with fewer resources, among poor people, um, that money is a big reason why people don't or can't leave. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that this was a perfect case to, to talk about those things. Um, sure. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that, if that gets it, I'm not sure if that's exactly the answer to your question or not, but. No, I, I mean, I think that's useful. I, I remember when the, the, the court case started and I was like, well, this sure seems weird with the Hollywood celebrities rolling into Virginia to be heard by, to be heard by this jury. Cause it was all islands and bloody fingers and things in the opening mm -hmm. statements. Like this must seem odd that you got sat for this jury. Uh, Overlord Kartoffelkampf, do you all feel that the left-leaning news sites are being performatively woke in their misrepresentation of the trial? It feels performative to me. Do you think that there's any kind of disingenuousness coming from the media just because they feel that's the right side uh, to be on on this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. I, I think... I told you these answers would be getting quicker here. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think, yeah, no, I think, I think that I think that's a good answer. Uh, let's see here. Before the grave, Natalie, best coffee shop in Boston? Oh, uh, so, okay. Congrats <laughs> on, I guess, your new job in Boston? Yes, or have to start at least going back to the office. Yeah, I can um, go back to the office. Yeah, so I guess you're probably talking about going downtown. I live in a neighborhood called Jamaica Plain, which I really love. Uh, and there is a place called uh, City Feed that I really like. It's a little grocery store that has nice coffee. Um, I also like espresso yourself. Those are just in my neighborhood. I guess if I'm downtown, as sad as it is, um, I'm a big coffee drinker, but I'm not super picky. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin', I guess it's not called Dunkin' Donuts anymore, is like a huge Boston institution. And you can pretty much find those everywhere. And I think it's pretty much the best coffee that you can get anywhere. Uh, great coffee. So find a there Dunkin', you, you will trip over them in this city. <laughs> Thank you for the super luck. chat. Uh, and then just some some more nice sentiments. Tyler Hunfield, this has been one of the best, most educational streams I've seen in a while. Kudos to you and Natalie. So all of those kudos yeah, belong really to our nice. guest here, uh, who's bringing all of this insight uh, to us. Um, let's see. Natalie, can you address the UK trial and conflict of interest with the judge? Uh, she talked about that a little bit uh, and the relationships. Um, I think you did talk about this. Thank you, Kareen, for the super chat. Um, I, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, in a nutshell, yeah. I think that I, I don't think that there's I don't think that the judge was corrupt and had a conflict of interest. I think that the judge basically made up his mind that he was on Team Amber and then used motivated reasoning to decide what evidence was important and what wasn't. Um, I mean, I think that the, the craziest thing for me reading that is that, you know, when I look at all of the evidence in this case, what I think is just utterly persuasive and damning for Amber are those audios, um, yeah. you know, hours Tell of world. audio where it's very clear that she starts physical fights, that he tries to diffuse the situation, that she mocks him and calls him a baby, et cetera. Um, I think that, you know, listening to those in full, uh, I think it's impossible to say, look, uh, you know, she's an imperfect victim or, okay, fine. She hit back once in a while. Like, I, I think that they are establishing a very clear context. They're talking about their whole relationship, blah, blah, blah. And 
Oh, we might have lost Natalie. We could tell Dude, that I they, might be. Oh. I might be cutting out a little bit. You can't download Stranger Things four Hello. at the same time. Okay, sorry. I think I, I think I just cut out of the video. You did, but you're back. As best I can tell. Oh, okay, great. Um, so, yes. like the, the fact <laughs> that the judge dismissed those audios as you know, Amber says they're sarcastic. That that to me is, you couldn't do that if you weren't really, really, really trying hard to write a pro Amber document. So that's the problem with the UK ruling. I think is that it was motivated reasoning, not that he had. A fairly obscure conflict of interest that's never been persuasive to me. Well, folks, I you know I'm I'm worried about Natalie's stream. We're at about an hour and a half in. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get to all the questions that you have for Natalie. Maybe we can have her back on. The one thing I did want to ask here is because you know this is this is a new environment here. Leanne G says, Natalie, were you were you nervous to come on today um, with me? I'm you know I'm very I'm a very dangerous person, as folks know. Um, so, uh, and then, and then we'll, and then we'll leave you off. Were, were you nervous, Natalie, to come on today? It doesn't strike me that you were nervous. I think this long pause is a stream issue, folks. <laughs> um. Natalie, we're going to get you out of here. <laughs> Hello? If you can still hear me, um, where can folks find you? Uh, online and what you've got coming up for us in terms of writings. I'm sorry, folks. Sometimes this happens. Technical difficulties. We are subject to the myths and legends of the World Wide Web, the series of pipes that help us communicate with one another. Uh, so I'm very sorry to see that happen to Natalie. She might pop back in to at least say uh, her goodbyes here. Um, if not, first and foremost, I want to thank her for coming on the show. Hopefully she wasn't nervous about it. Hopefully she knows that this is a space where we're looking for perspectives. We're looking for people that disagree with me as well as agree with me. Um, and that's, that's how we grow is through that reason disagreement. Let's see if Natalie comes out a little bit better, right? The second. So sorry about that, everybody. It's the internet. I was just talking to folks. No, no. I want to let you get going anyway. So I, I did, if you didn't catch the last question, I, I just like this one. Uh, were you nervous about coming on today? Were, were you fearful of, of virtual legality? I, I know I'm very dangerous looking in general. Um, um, I wasn't. I wasn't nervous about coming on today or or speaking to you. Uh, I was a little nervous that you know people who were already mad at my article would see that I was I was going on to uh, this show and and be pissed about it again. Um, <laughs> I, stand, I stand behind my conclusions. So. I can't make any promises that that won't happen, of course. <laughs> uh, but okay, so uh, fantastic time. I think everybody really enjoyed uh, you coming on the show. Uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you or follow you and, mm -hmm. and what, uh, if anything, you can, you can mention that you've got coming up in the pipeline. Okay, yeah. Uh, so my Twitter is at Natalie Shirley, S-U-R-E, L-Y, uh, a dumb pun that I am stuck with <laughs> because that's what I did when I signed up for Twitter. Um, I'm, you know, spend way too much time on there. Uh, that's really the only social media site. I think it would be a good idea to follow me. My Instagram is just like private pictures of my dog. Um, 
so so go go there and then yeah i have a uh, you know more more tnr pieces um working on some pieces elsewhere uh you know you said I, you did a big row piece for them right recently yes yeah relatively so their their current issue is about prep uh, for dogs row so I've written about the class politics of abortion in Roe for that. Okay. Um, yeah, I write for Jacobin a lot. That's a socialist magazine. Um, and I always post them. So yeah, come over to come over to Twitter and say hello. And thank you guys so much for being so friendly and nice. And and thank you for being such a good host, Rich. Hey, no, I I'm I am thrilled with how this has gone. Uh, thank you for your insights on all of this. Um, and chat folks, I will, I will answer some more of the statements or otherwise display them and, and have a conversation with you. We've still got a half hour uh, in our slot. But Natalie's already been very, very generous about giving us an extra half hour. And I just want to thank you for coming on. And you're always invited. Um, you know, you, you know how to reach me on Twitter. Uh, and if we cover another one of your pieces, I'll probably mention it to you. Uh, sure. Just in case you want to come on, defend it or, or just hang out with us. Uh, either way, how, whatever the context of that might be. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. I think you were a real uh, fantastic guest. So thank you yeah, so much. For sure. Thank you guys so much and have a great day. Absolutely, Natalie. Thanks again. Take care. Bye. You guys did great, Chad. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of this community we're building here where reasonable minds can differ, uh, where regardless of how you feel about a person's politics or otherwise, you can have this conversation. And I think she actually exemplified that very, very well in respect to the credibility concept, right? That you don't have to agree with someone to see argumentation that is at least well thought out, even if you find something wanting in their thesis or the conclusions that they draw, that that is a fantastic way to learn and to grow. And if we're not learning and growing, what are we doing? Um, so I, I, I want to once again express my thanks for our very first guest coming on here. And I want to express my thanks to all of you all in the chat that comments on these videos that helps build this community. I think this is a fantastic first step to getting more folks on here, even when I'm very critical of them in articles, right? I'll, I'll reach back out to Martha Gill, see if she can come on, have a similar kind of conversation and have more conversations in general so that you don't just have to listen to me on this stuff. You can get the other perspective and you can say, hey, you know what? I think that author makes a point. I think Rick is wrong. I think that is a fantastic part of, of all this, all that we can do here, and I'm so enthused about all of you that have joined me so early in the morning, 8.30 in the morning on the East Coast of the United States, 4,000 people. I could not be happier with what we're building here. Uh, and, and that's in large part thanks to you all. And so I want to express that before we get back into Super Chats, because honestly, uh, it, it, it makes me very, very happy and, and very proud. Uh, so we're, we're carving out a place on the Internet, uh, and I think it's a fantastic thing. Apple Pie says, good morning, Hogue. New Final Fantasy XIV patch drop, but I wouldn't miss Hangouts and Headlines, even for that, especially with a dual monitor game controller. And what is that, a falling star uh, emoji? Yeah, I, I very much appreciate it uh, from Aorzia. Always get a lot of chats from Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, fantastic stuff. Samantha Eason, very excited for you tonight. Thank you so much. I think this went really, really well. I am super enthused by what the future of Hangouts and Headlines can be if we continue to have great content like that and we continue to have a community that is so, so respectful of our guests. Uh, Carly loves Big Bang German Hogue fan club. Morning, just wanted to say how much I enjoyed the article. It spoke my mind. Thank you for this mature and analytic take. Ms. Shore, I apologize. I didn't get that comment in front of her. Carly loves Big Bang. But I know that she felt uh, a lot of the positive vibes here from the community, from the chat, from people that wanted to have these conversations. Um, and, and that's all, that's all because of you. I never know what's going to happen, uh, with the, with the community at large. 
Uh, Necrotic, New York Times asked a female lawyer on YouTube to write an opinion piece. That's Natalie. Uh, not this Natalie, different Natalie. It was based on facts and went against the narrative. They decided not to publish. It is fantastic. You can see me tweet it out. Um, and who knows what headlines might be here this week or what guests we might have to talk about them, depending on availability, of course. But it's a very interesting op-ed. Uh, it was essentially sourced by the New York Times. They elected not to use it. Um, and so <clears throat> we might just talk about that in this space. Stay tuned. Uh, Starbright, great interview. Love the logical thinking. Thank you so much, Starbright. I thought it was fantastic as well. Britt Cormier, why send a super chat to say hush? Always interested in hearing people's perspectives. Agree or not, understanding someone's side and argument is important to make sure my own ideas are strong and not made of paper. Exactly. Even if you disagree with someone, if they're well argued, if they're thinking through their process, bare minimum, iron sharpens iron on that front. And you know better what your weaknesses and your own argument are. And you can consider the other party's perspective in shoring up your own. It's fantastic stuff. And it's part of the fun of living, in all honesty. Moving forward, we have this idea that there is a but somewhere when saying men and women are equal. This case showed that women are far more equal than we thought. Certainly that women can be abusers. And uh, while I think that sometimes seems odd uh, to us that are otherwise kind of ingrained in the culture and how these things are depicted, it is certainly the case. Um, and I know people came after me saying, oh, you know, you're, you're listening to Amber Heard too much when I was uh, telling folks that I thought Johnny Depp had a very difficult case to win, especially early on. But even then, I don't think this is gendered, but I, I don't know. Uh, when Amber Heard is giving her testimony, I wanted to believe that she wasn't lying about it. No question there. Uh, Joseph Krakowski, Eve Barlow is not a journalist. It says so in the court transcript. Also, hello again, Rick. Hi, Natalie. Tim was salty. So can you say hi, Tim? Thanks. I can say hi, Tim. Uh, Darius May, could you write an article on sibling abuse? Sorry, I didn't get this in front of Natalie. There's no proof with Heard sisters. It's claimed by Howell, Depp, et cetera, but it's highly underreported and discussed. Yeah, the, the Whitney Amber discussion of what their relationship is or might be or, or continues to be um, was a little bit disturbing. And I, I would love to know more about that or how prevalent that kind of relationship can sometimes be if it is as described in some of these quarters. So it's a great question. I'm sorry I didn't get in front of Natalie. Britt Cormier, I agree with your credible journalism statement. We can weigh facts in different ways. We can come to different conclusions based on a set of facts. However, we should agree facts are facts and not propaganda or lies. Yeah, we have to start with a functional understanding of what actually happened in a specific circumstance. And that is part of the problem when you talk about some of these other articles that just kind of ignore what was happening in trial. And I think that's one of the things that Natalie's article does really well is say, here's, here's what I saw with Amber's evidence. Here's what I saw with Johnny Depp's evidence. And this is just a case and you don't have to take it and extrapolate it out to a big social message. But if we're going to talk about this, let's actually talk about this and not just say, well, obviously Amber Heard is the truth teller, et cetera. Vika Sridhar, social media algorithms are democratic. Give people what they want. The alternative is to have media push their narratives, or at least have the, the social platforms push their narratives, which I guess is a kind of media. Uh, but yeah, it, it's tricky because I can definitely see the point that sometimes these bots get in there and start pushing things in an inorganic way that is essentially pushing narratives. And because bots are written by people, they can make mistakes too and push things in an unhealthy way. Um, so I think it's it's somewhere in the middle there where you, you want algorithms to do what they're doing, but you also want to make sure that they are actually putting in front of 
folks things that those folks would be interested in. Myra M., people forget that there are women who go after powerful and or older men for money and comfort. Women are not always being taken advantage of. Certainly true. Uh, each gender, everyone on planet Earth has the ability to be a bad person, has agency in the decisions that they make. Moving forward, Natalie, I think if we stop showing trials on TV right now, the mainstream media would have a bigger pushback, certainly right this second. Can you imagine with so many people saying that so many of these articles don't reflect their own eyes on this trial, if they then said, we're going to make a push for making sure these things are only closed doors, that would go poorly for them. Drive-by commenter, also to consider YouTuber's Umbrella Guy and Yellow Flash, previously covered voice actor uh, Vic Mignona, believed to be unfairly me too along with other online personalities. They saw a pattern of being an easy mark in a moral panic. I don't know much about that story, uh, unfortunately. I've seen the name uh, flying around. But thank you so much for the super chat, drive-by commenter. Independent George, very broadly, the right focuses on individual rights, the left on group identities and protected classes. The political divide falls into this lens. And I, I think anytime you generalize, you're probably grabbing too much stuff uh, on either side. Certainly, I think the classical left was very much focused on civil rights and independent rights. I, I don't know that we can properly define the political spectrum in the United States solely on this basis, but I think there's some of this in there as well. Laquaria, Natalie, always thought Me Too included abused men. Limiting to women only devalues the whole movement, doesn't it? Why do you think journalists aren't focusing on this angle? And we do have some Natalie questions here that we had to skip. I knew we were already over time. My sincere apologies on that. Um, but, um, you know, maybe if she comes back on this space, we could try to get some of these questions out in front of her. Um, she did talk about Me Too and wanting to see it as a bit of a labor movement, which obviously didn't happen. Uh, and you can follow her on Twitter. She's also commenting on some of the stuff happening at the Washington Post and sees that through a labor lens as well. So she has some interesting thoughts there. Also, you can feel free to tweet her or, or DM her uh, and, and see if uh, she has an answer there uh, as well. I do apologize uh, for running out of time. Alexander Rola, Natalie, isn't it by design that postmodernism divides issues into class or gender or race instead of treating it by being issues of class and gender and race? Uh, the hammer and sickle, like a bleeding heart and a game controller emoji. Um, and I, I'd love to know Natalie's answer to that as well. So I do apologize. Kira Lopez, these were not the first time DVSV were televised. See the war machine trial or don't, it's gruesome, but this is not the first time as Elaine claimed. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it's actually remotely close to the first time, but Elaine's claims come with a very large grain of salt. Kareen, I disagree, Natalie. Johnny acknowledged his drug use and apologizes for his behavior and language to her. Amber Heard never, ever apologized for her behavior. Yeah, I mean, I think there are still moments on the Johnny Depp side of the case where he says, I don't have an alcohol problem and some some other things about substances and what abuse is that I think at least ring a little false to anybody that's had somebody abusing substances in their life, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think he plays slightly too innocent on that, but there is no question that he is much more willing to own up to certain aspects of his life than the Amber Heard side of the case was. And honestly, that might be a part of why Amber Heard's case got scuttled. Uh, is if she presented a more realistic version of the world, uh, it could have been easier to believe what she was telling. Gina Lee, can you address the misogyny perpetrated by Elaine against Dr. Curry? Muffins, dinner, tawdriness, and Camille Vasquez constantly mispronouncing her name. Uh, I don't know if that's misogyny or not, but I do think Elaine has a tendency to discount other people. Is it just other women? I think she discounts basically everybody. Uh, as, a, as a personal matter. So I, I don't know that I can speak to the misogynistic aspects or not of that. 
but Elaine has quickly become somebody that I, I tried to back up as having some some good direct questions, some smart objections, especially early on, uh, and and has quickly lost a, a lot of whatever backing I would have had for her as this has gone on, particularly in the press tour, which we may talk about in this space. Samuel Anderson, what to do about the sales benefit of narrative? I don't know whether there is a sales benefit or not. Honestly, I mean, we'd have to do an analysis of those answers as to why we see these things pop up. Is it what people want to read? Are you just giving the people what they want? Or are you trying to push the people to what you want? I don't know the answer to that question. Ramon T, having power is different than using it. Less power used to its full extent is more powerful than great power unused. Meaning that Johnny Depp could have a bigger reservoir of power, but Amber Heard uses her smaller reservoir against him. I think that's probably accurate. Power analysis gets real um, interesting uh, when you try to do it on these kinds of bases because the judicial system, the legal process, isn't really interested in structural dynamics. It's interested in what happened on the ground. Uh, and people can critique that. Uh, I suspect, I don't want to put words in her mouth, that Natalie might critique that. But the jury was tasked with a very specific thing, which was what happened and was this particular statement defamatory if this happened in this way or if this happened in a different way. Hey, terrific. Natalie, how do you feel about Elaine claiming they won in the UK, lost respect for certain outlets for not immediately correcting her on that issue? Uh, and yeah, they weren't a party to the case in the UK. I don't know what Natalie would have to say about that, but it bugs the heck out of me. So thank you for the super chat. Uh, Aram Rose, question, enduring public humiliation for six years, death threats to his children and his life on TV shows, constant hit pieces, articles for six years. How is that forgotten easily just to keep protecting Amber? I think Natalie did say fundamentally that these outlets appear to just not agree with the jury, that they are actually coming out against the whole process in general. And for whatever reason, the jury came to the wrong conclusion. When I had expected at least many of them to say, okay, well, if a jury found this, if it's a unanimous verdict, uh, then we should take that into account and reassess uh, the, the views that we have been putting out there and try to explain how a jury could come to this conclusion and not be an orgy of misogyny and not be something that is just evil on its face that we don't have to explain. And they, a lot of them, are deciding not to do that. And that's part of the story. I think that's part of the really interesting portions of the story. Stephanie became a YouTube member. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Lainey Dempsey, surely so many headlines stating victims won't be believed will be the main contributor to a reduction in victims coming forward. I think possibly. I think that's an, a totally worthwhile thesis to have is that when you go out and tell people that they won't be believed because of this, you're telling people that they won't be believed because of this. Uh, and the media is contributing to that. We talked about that a little bit briefly in the middle of the interview. Oh, no, it's Joe. Another good episode of Hoaglines and Hogouts upside down emoji. Did not go with that name. It is amusing, though. Face in the crowd. Love that this isn't an echo chamber of ideas. We need more of this to get back to critical thinking. Thank you for this. Video game controller emojis. Thank you for the support. I really don't want it to be an echo chamber. I really want everybody that goes from a virtual legality episode or from a Hangouts and Headlines episode or whatever on this channel to say, all right, I'm going to think about that for myself. Rick has his opinions, and hopefully he's labeling them properly in whatever video he makes. He has his opinions. I have mine but I can think about this through a new lens and a new perspective when I go and read the next article on it or I watch the next video. Like That's the ideal to me, is to have folks out there having those kinds of thoughts. Ferris King, good morning, YouTube. Good afternoon, MT. All the love from Saudi Arabia. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. 
Carly loves Big Bang German Hogue fan club. Did your did you tease a hangouts and headlines with Natalie Lawyer chick? Hearts in your eyes. We'll see. We got to work out some availability stuff. But um, yes, all of my guests will only be named Natalie. Get excited. Uh, Muffin Polero, thank you so much for the super chat. Uh, and I think uh, we'll see if there's anything else here, but this sounds like a pretty good place to wind down the video. Uh, otherwise, I just want to say once again how thankful I am for everybody in the community, everybody in chat, for just being an awesome chat and community to be around. We're going to get more guests because of how awesome you are. Uh, and I know there are people that are a little bit trepidatious of coming into any space, any YouTuber space, not just us, not just me here in virtual reality, because things have gone wrong in the past. And there are folks online that are out there to, you know, dunk on you and make clips that say destroyed in the title and things like that. And that will never be this space. And that's going to disappoint some of you when we have some folks on here that disagree with me or you or somebody else. But I'm always going to be focused on getting their perspective so that we can understand them and asking questions like I did today to kind of try to dig deeper into some answers that I find interesting, but not out here to make this a hostile environment because that's that's how you close off. That's how you create an echo chamber. And I'm very much about not doing that here. So thank you all for helping make that possible. Thank you all for coming in and checking out our first guest in Hangouts and Headlines. And I will see you right after I cover this super chat. <laughs> Belly Laffer, just know, occurs to myself, just now occurs to myself, what does I want to be true, no believe is true about this personal organization to open eyes to my own biases. Yeah, I like to flip things around, especially when you're looking at political stories. I like to tell folks, all right, if you're look, talking about a law or an executive order or a policy or a behavior or a scandal, imagine that's in the shoes that you like. Imagine that's somebody that you otherwise trust and have faith in and how that's being reported and how you would feel about it. And just examine it from the other perspective. See how you feel about various political issues that are facing the United States or whatever jurisdiction you might be in. If the very worst person you can think about is otherwise wielding that power is the subject of the story or your favorite person, if it's already going against the political side you don't like. As I was saying, thank you so much for the super chat. Thank you all for checking in and I will catch you on the next episode of Virtual Legality. Thanks everybody.